I hope that as as we go through stuff today, you'll 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 see why we kind of put that song in the mix. And 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 again, I appreciate your patience with it. I know it's not a very worshipful song, but I think it's a very truthful song. And uh, especially as we think about the life of John the Baptist, as we're considering uh, his word, uh, the word of God today, we get to see um, a little of John's background, a little of John's thoughtfulness, a little of what he does. And so let me just pray for us as we uh, open the word together and then. And then we'll consider the word of God. God, we do thank you again for this time. We thank you for what you've called us out of and what you've called us to. And God, we just pray that over these next few minutes that you would move in our lives. Lord, that you would work by your spirit and by your word to help us honor you fully with all that we are. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, I kind of raised this question a little bit in uh, the midweek letter, but I don't know if you guys are on social media, you probably know that I'm not very good at social media. I, uh, if you're on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any of those things, um, you probably know that I don't post a lot other than if, if it's about bread. And the pictures I take are not very good because I'm a one-shot wonder. Okay, there it's going. I know there are people who, I, we, were, we were with some friends last night, and they took, uh, or the other night, and they took like five pictures of all our, all our girls, all the daughters, and, and just to find the right one that would go post somewhere. I'm thinking, oh, that's too, too much work for me. Um, now, and I got to tell you, especially, you probably noticed this, if you look at the bread stuff, you'll know I redo pictures. And so instead of taking new pictures each week, there, bread is bread, and so here's, here's more pictures of the same bread. Um, but I suppose in some ways I'm either a bit too private a person or I just don't think that my life is worthy of posting out there for everybody to see me because ultimately I don't want it to be about me. You know, some people could be called social media influencers and they have all these followers. And I was hearing a story a few months ago about a, an 18 year old who has 150 million Instagram followers. And mainly all she does is open boxes, spends about 30 seconds opening things, giving little reviews, and in a couple of months she's made tons of money just opening boxes. Like, man, Melody, we need to do something to figure out how to pay for college. Um, But as I, I began thinking about today's sermon and our look through the Gospel of John, I began thinking about John the Baptist. Thinking, well, if he had an Instagram feed or if he had Facebook, what would he post about? What would that be like? Would he post? What would he share about himself? And so today I think we get a little bit of an insight into that. So if you have your Bibles and want to open up to John chapter 1, we're going to be considering that. We're going to, as Melody read earlier, we're going to be considering verses 19 to 34. Let me just take us back for a brief moment, because last week we got introduced to John in the prologue of the Gospel of John. We got to see a glimpse into the overall subject of the book and and the way that John the Apostle, or some people call him John the Evangelist, wants us to understand about Jesus, what he was doing. 
And in the midst of that prologue, he briefly introduced John the Baptist. He, he, he brought up a couple of things. And here's a couple of things that he said in John chapter 1, 6 to 8. He said, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to bear he came as a witness he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And then a little bit later on, John continues in verse fifteen. He says, John the Baptist bore witness about him and cried out, This is of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. So at this point, the Apostle John, John the Baptist, John the, the Evangelist, the guy who wrote the book of John, wants us to know a little bit about John the Baptist. And really all he's telling us is that he was sent from God to do a job. In fact, that, that we're, I think John is, is coming at it, coming to us basically saying you should know something about John the Baptist already. If we were to read the other Gospels, here's a few things we might understand. You remember, John had a very unique birth. His parents were old. His mom wasn't able to have kids. And God miraculously opened her womb late in life. And God, and so he became a blessing to that family in their old age. John also wore funny clothes. He wore coats of camel's hair. We also heard that he, we would read elsewhere that he had a funny diet. He liked locusts. And he ate wild honey. Might, might be Matt's honey. It'd be pretty good. But locusts? We also learned that he spoke harshly to religious leaders. We, we would read that he baptized a lot of people. We're going to talk briefly about that today. We would learn elsewhere in Scripture that he was put in prison at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In fact, it's interesting. When you're reading through some of the narratives, you realize that Jesus' ministry doesn't really start until John is off the scene. And while in prison, he questioned whether or not Jesus was the one. Even though here early on he says he was the one. But as you can imagine, everybody's going to have doubts and challenges in their life. So if we were living in Israel at that time, we might have heard about some of these things regarding the life and ministry of John the Baptist. But as I said here in the Gospel of John, we don't really get much of that background. We're simply told that he was sent from God to bear witness about Jesus. And then right on the heel of the prologue, the apostle records John the Baptist's testimony about himself. And we could even say, these are his social media posts. These are what I want you to know about me, because it's his words to, to some degree. And even though the apostle, even though the author is the apostle John, because he's recording John's testimony, we're going to consider some of the things that John the Baptist wants us to know about him, about Jesus, and what we should do with that knowledge. And I realize it's confusing because we have two people named John that we're working with today. So anyways, I'm going to try to hopefully keep it straight. So if John the Baptist had Instagram or Facebook and this section of Scripture chronicled his feed, here's some things that he would want us to know about him. So if you want to take your notes, take, take some notes there. What John wants us to know about him is that he's a nobody. He's a nobody. We might think, what? That's a little bit harsh. And yeah, maybe it is. And we'll, we'll soften that a bit. But based on some of John's language, it's true. He doesn't care if you know much about him. John's not concerned about what you think of him. 
In fact, when people questioned, he made it very clear he is not that important. He's just a, a, almost like a town crier. He's letting people know, here's what's coming. Look in, in, at John chapter 1, verses 19 to 23. It says, And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but said, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are, are you Elijah? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. You see, at that time in, in Israel, in Judah, there was a lot of Messiah fever going on. There were a lot of people who had stepped up and said, hey, I'm the Christ. I'm, I'm the Messiah. I'm the anointed one who's coming. Because I think they knew, they could read Daniel's prophecy and know, hey, it was going to happen about this time. And so here comes John on the scene, this strange looking guy who's calling people to repentance He's raising a lot of eyebrows. He came to the scene outside of the normal religious circles. He didn't go to a certain school. He wasn't a student of a certain rabbi. He just popped onto the scene and began to cry out and say, call people to repentance. And apparently he was impactful in what he did because a lot of people began going out to the wilderness to be baptized by John, to, to respond to the call of the Lord. He was inviting people to prepare for the kingdom of God. And so all these religious leaders are confused. Who in the world are you? Who in Scripture are you? And John knows that he's simply an instrument to be used by God. You see, they all knew that the Messiah would be coming. And John's very straightforward. He said, I'm not him. I'm not that guy. They knew that Elijah would precede the Messiah and John's communicating, saying, I'm not Elijah either. Now, if you know Scripture, you know that at one point in time, Jesus actually called John Elijah. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 13 to 15. It says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you were willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. So, do you catch the tension here? Jesus is calling John Elijah, and John is, not, is saying, I'm not Elijah. So what's the big deal? How do, we, how do we reconcile these two differences in Scripture? You see, Elijah was one of the greatest and most notable prophets in the Old Testament. God worked miraculous things through him. And then at the end of his ministry, he was taken up. A chariot came by, picked him up, and he just went to heaven. He, he never died as far as we know. And I think that because John is focused on the work that he was called to, he's not concerned about the big picture narrative. He, he doesn't care if, if he's supposed to be this Elijah. He just wants to be who God called him to be, the voice He simply wants to prepare people for Jesus. And so the people who were, 
who were questioning, questioning him continued their inquisition. They, they went back to him and, and, and they said in verse 25, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Why in the world are you baptizing? Now, let me just tell you, if you're not familiar with what baptism is, you know, we believe that that baptism essentially means immersion. It's a Greek word that has been translated, transliterated into other languages. And so baptism is this idea of being plunged underwater and brought back, signifying a life change, dead to the old and alive to the new. And baptism was a, a common practice in the first century, but it wasn't a common practice for Jews. It was a common practice for Gentiles who were turning away from their old pagan ways and coming to Christ, coming to faith, not Christ, coming to faith in Judaism. So to see John baptizing Jews from one type of belief about God to another type of belief about God didn't make sense to the Jewish leaders. They thought, hey, we're okay. But, but I think it's important for us to realize, remember last week when we talked about the fact that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. They didn't know who he was. And I think one of the things John is doing is saying, hey, guys, you've got this all wrong. God is going to do something great. So let, let me ask you to prepare, repent of your old way of thinking. Come to believe. And in John chapter one, John answered them. Verses 26 and 27, he said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one that you do not you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am unworthy to to untie. And I think John wants us to understand the importance of this one who is to follow. Now, let me get that. We don't think much about shoes. We don't think very much about feet. But in that culture. To untie a sandal was something that was below a disciple. It was below a follower. It was something only a slave or a servant would do. And so notice what John is doing here. He, he's, he's basically saying, I'm not even worthy. I'm not even good enough to untie this guy's sandal. That's how much of a nobody I am. It's all about him. You see, disciples, they would do any number of things for their leader, for their rabbi, for their teacher. But a rabbi would never stoop so low as to ask his, his disciple to untie a sandal. So John's like, well, I'm not even worthy to do that. A slave is better than me in that regard. I'm a nobody. Ultimately, we don't know how long John ministered realistically. It was only a couple of years. And he's known as John the Baptist because he called people to repent and he initiated them. That's what baptism became, an initiation into a relationship with God, into a new way of thinking, a new way of believing. So ultimately, John's ministry wasn't about himself. It was about somebody else. And as I said... He, I think, saw himself as simply an instrument, as a nobody in comparison to Jesus Christ. And that's not to say that he wasn't important, because I think John had a big role to play, and it, it just wasn't about him. It wasn't about his job. And when you think about it, so often God calls people in their weakness and in their obscure, obscurity 
to play an important role. I mean, think about the, some of the people in that song that we sang a few minutes ago. Moses had a stuttering problem. He, 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 he hated to talk in front of people. And yet God called him and said, I'm going to use you in your weakness to bring people out. David was a shepherd. He was totally undergunned in his fight with Goliath. The disciples were, were a bunch of nobodies. They were fishermen. They were rebels. They were zealots. And yet God used them. Joseph was a slave. Ruth was a widow. Esther was an orphan girl who got called to a place of prominence to save her people. And we could go on, but I think it's important for us to realize, and I hope encouraging for us to realize, that nobodies, image-bearing nobodies, are important to God. Image-bearing nobodies are important to God. Which brings us to our next post that John might make. And in this post, we can learn that John wants us to know about Jesus. Because he's somebody. John wants us to know about Jesus. In John chapter 1, verses 29 to 34, the testimony of John continues. He says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said... After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. And I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend, like a, descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So you see, John's entire ministry comes to culmination with the introduction of Jesus, with the introduction of this somebody. He wants to, people to know what kind of somebody Jesus really is. You see, the first thing that we get to see is that this somebody is the Lamb of God. There's a lot of debate about what, G, what John meant by Jesus being the Lamb of God. And John may have had Isaiah in his mind. In Isaiah 53, he says, He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. But I think that one thing is clear. The Lamb has, will come, did come, to remove our sin. I don't think John had any idea exactly how this would play out. I don't think he had the cross in mind. He just knew that Jesus was going to be some sort of a suffering servant. And ultimately later in the Gospel of John, we get to witness just how this would happen. As Jesus is on the cross, paying for the sins of all the world. But not only is Jesus the Lamb of God, John, John wants us to know that this somebody, this one who's coming after, is superior. This somebody is greater. We've already seen it a bit in John's comment about not being worthy to untie his sandal. But here, John communicates that Jesus, even though he's following or succeeding John, ranks higher than John. He's supreme because he was before him. But next, John also wants us to know that this somebody 
is anointed by God. John shares how when he was called upon to baptize Jesus, the Spirit descended on him, on Jesus, like a sign of anointing, revealing his special calling. And because of this greater anointing where John's baptism was a sort of initiation, Jesus' baptism with this, with, of the Spirit on us would be lasting and eternal. It's not just something that would happen once for, all, uh, once for a time to mark something, but it is something that would be persistent in our lives. But next, John also wants us to recognize that this somebody is the Son of God. This one who followed Jesus is more is none other than God in the flesh. And we saw this last week in the prologue. Being the Son of God, John is not elevating Jesus in proximity, proximity to God. He's not saying, oh, he's just, he's related to God. He's communicating. He is God. He's revealing his divinity. You see, we might be called children of God, but there is only one Son of God. But if we were to zoom out a little bit just beyond the scope of the passage that we're thinking about today, we might be able to see that John is trying to tell us this somebody is practically indescribable. He's practically indescribable. In fact, thinking about this, in, starting in verse 19, and you're going to see a lot of things on the screen in just a moment. But starting in verse 19, going all the way to the end of the chapter, which we'll look at next week, John uses so many different words to describe this somebody. I mean, look at this. He, he, he calls him the Messiah in, chapter, in verses 20 and 41. He calls him a prophet in verse 21. He calls him Jesus by his name in verse 29. He calls him the Lamb of God. He calls him the one who baptizes with the Spirit. He calls him the chosen Son of God. He calls him Rabbi and Teacher, Christ or Messiah, the Anointed One. He calls him the Son of Joseph. He calls him a Nazarene, Son of God, King of Israel, Son of Man. Can people use that many names to describe you or me? I might have four or five little titles, but I'm nobody compared to this. In fact, if we add to that what we saw last week, we get to see that not only is Jesus this somebody, all of these things, but we saw that he is the word. He is the true light. He is the, the only son from the father. And he is the word became flesh. This somebody is somebody. But finally, we've already kind of hinted at it, this somebody, John wants us to know that this somebody is Jesus Christ. The supremacy, anointing, and all the titles culminate in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the somebody that John served. He is the somebody that John pointed to. He is the somebody that he wanted us to know about. So John's Instagram feed might not have many pictures of himself. He's not going to do selfies. But he's going to post a lot about this somebody. So as we've been kind of scrolling through his feed today, we come to one final question or conclusion, and that is what should we do about this knowledge? Or we might abbreviate it, so what? What do we do about this? Now that we know a little something about John, essentially that he is comparably nobody and and. We've gleaned a bit about Jesus, that he is somebody. What should we do with this knowledge? And I think there's a, a couple of things that we really need to think about. And, and the first one is this, is that Jesus came to save us. And that is good news 
everybody. That is good news for everybody. John called him the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And later on in the book, we're going to see in John 3, 17, that, that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That somebody came to save us from the problem that we find ourselves in. And we learned over the last couple of weeks that this salvation is obtained through belief. Remember back last week in, verse, in chapter, chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If we would only believe. And as we saw two weeks ago that we're going to see again later in the book in John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, but these things are written looking at the signs, but essentially all of the book here is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So friend, I want to challenge you. You are included in this. Everybody. Jesus came to save you and me from our sin question is, have you believed? Have you trusted him? Have you entrusted yourself to him? And John would call us to repent of our sin and trust in the completed and finished work of what this somebody did on the cross. Have you believed? And if you have, if you are a brother or sister in Christ, what if you've already believed? Well, well, I think the next step is to go public. To get baptized. John, for John, it was a, a repent and be baptized all in one fell swoop. And John used baptism as an initiation, a, a new beginning, a sign of repentance. And that tradition has continued throughout church history. Jesus called his followers to make disciples, baptizing them. So if you've not yet been baptized as a believer, maybe your next step is to be baptized, to be identified with Christ. As my pastor years ago used to say, buried with him in the likeness of his death, raised in the newness of life in him. But finally, for those of us who have believed and are already baptized, what is next for us? Then I think we need to recognize that our ministry and our message are about Jesus. They're about this somebody. That same pastor of mine used to say, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about him. And I think one of the challenges we face in Christianity today is that we want to be a part of something special. We want to have some sort of fame and notoriety. I think that's why social media has become so popular, because we all want to have our 15 seconds of fame. Or 150 million followers of stuff. I can't imagine trying to keep up with that all the time. We want a bigger platform. But I think as believers, it's something that we have to fight against. Are we concerned more about getting credit for something or being obedient to what God has called us to? And I think John the Baptist is a good example of this. Sure, he received some fame, but not because he was trying to become famous. He became famous simply because he was faithful. He was faithful with the gifts that God had given him. He is faithful to what God had called him to. Several years ago, I had a, a, a chance to interview a, guy, a pastor and author. His name is Zach Eswine. And he had written a, written a book that I loved. It's called The Imperfect Pastor. 
And in the book, he sort of reviewed his own shortcomings as a pastor. He reviewed, kind of took what, the lessons that he had learned through his failures and sort of spoke. It really speaks a lot to pastors, but if you ever get a chance to pick it up, I think you might find it interesting. But one of the most impactful things that he said in the book and in the interview that I had with him pushed against what he, um, what, you know, the, that call to fame that our society sort of brings people to. He makes this comment to pastors, but I think it really could be said to anyone in ministry. And he says this, as you enter ministry, whether you're teaching a Sunday school class, leading a small group, sharing the gospel with someone across the table at a coffee shop, as you engage in ministry, whether you're doing greeting at the, at the front or doing ushering, As you enter ministry, you will be tempted to orient your desires toward doing large things in famous ways as fast and efficiently as you can. Isn't that the whole American way? With the exception of football, because American football is the most inefficient use of time and resources there is. But it's still fun to watch Go 49ers. But, but think about this. Think about the way that we work as a society. We want it done fast. We want it done now. If I can do it more efficiently, that must be the better way. If I can make a big splash and get, every, get the word out there in huge ways, yay us, yay me, go kingdom of God. But here's what he says. You'll be tempted to orient your desires to doing large things in famous and famous ways as fast and efficiently as you can. But take note, a crossroads waits for you. Jesus is that crossroads. Because almost anything in life that truly matters will require you to do small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time with him. Almost anything in life that truly matters will require you to do small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time with him. And I want to just encourage you, it's okay to be obscure and unknown. It's okay if if nobody ever knows your name beyond the people that live next to you, beyond, beyond your family, beyond your church family. The mattering things include those quiet talks with your children. Those deep conversations that you can get into because you're being intentional with them. Those mattering things include teaching or assisting in Sunday school. Sometimes we feel like it doesn't matter. But I tell you, it matters. I was telling the middle schoolers this morning, it was a Sunday school teacher when I was in kindergarten or first grade that led me to Christ. Not because she she said, here's what you have to do, but because she raised a question that I got to take to my dad. And he said, here's what you need to do. These mattering things include praying persistently. Wednesday night, Jim talked about the, the, the prayer of the persistent widow who, who prayed over and over and over. Those mattering things matter as we bring requests before the Lord. Those mattering things include listening. Listening to people around us who are questioning. It includes talking. I think those mattering things include things like shoveling snow for your neighbor who may not be able to, running errands for a friend, showing hospitality to that neighbor. I think they include sharing bits of the gospel 
at the mailbox or when you're taking the trash can down to the street. Think about all the time that you have, all those little, little interactions that you have with the people that are around you. Those things matter. Because time and again, people are going to see you, see your consistent walk and faith, and know that it's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about him. So, beloved, let me encourage you. Being a nobody for Jesus is a good thing. It doesn't matter if we're remembered. It matters if the people with whom we interact have the opportunity to remember Jesus. And that they have responded because of the Jesus they've seen in us. Because of those mattering things that have happened over a long period of time. Let me pray for us. God, we do thank you for John. Lord, we thank you for his witness and his testimony. We thank you for his faithfulness. God, we pray that you would help us to be faithful with the gifts and abilities, with the responsibilities, with the opportunities that you granted to us. God, it is so easy in our society to make things about us and not about you. God, help us to follow John's example in this. Help us to be willing to be nobodies so that you might be exalted in our lives. God, we pray that you would move by your spirit through us and around us. Lord, that you would expand your fame and renown. Lord, in every neighborhood of Poolsville, in all the places that we live and move and have our being, be glorified through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.